Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. My guest today is Patrick O'Sullivan, who, as far as I'm aware, is the world's first chief Bitcoin officer for the Australian Baseball League club, the Perth Heat. In late 2021, Patrick convinced the organization to shift to a full Bitcoin standard. And since then, they've been experimenting with all the ways in which they can leverage the benefits of Bitcoin to bring a higher quality and more rewarding experience to players and spectators alike. Recently, grounded in a firm belief in the merits and possibilities of the Bitcoin-enabled value-for-value philosophy, the team has launched what they're calling Sats for Stats, where live or online spectators can send Bitcoin payments directly to players for whatever reason in real time. Patrick and the whole crew at the Perth Heat not only believe that their club will reap substantial rewards by being first in pursuing this strategy, but also that their pioneering work will inspire others to do the same, and in time, completely revolutionize the world of spectator sports. Enjoy. Patrick, welcome uh, to Closing the Loop. I'm very much looking forward to this discussion. So thanks for giving me the time today. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on, uh, helping to, uh, to spread the word on this. Yeah. So one of the, I mean, there's two things that really uh, caught my attention with what you guys are doing. One, and of course I'll get you to uh, introduce yourself and explain it, but one was just how all in uh, you guys have gone. You know, you didn't dip your toes in the water. You're here to really be the first to say we're fully committed to Bitcoin, to value for value. And we want to try to figure out how to make it work. Going to make lots of mistakes. All this is very nascent, but there's something incredibly special here. And we want to be the ones leading the charge on this. And so First of all, kudos to you guys uh, for doing that. And then the other thing that really, you know, that I've been enjoying, I should say, over the last few days is your podcast, or maybe oh, yeah. it's just, you know, your, your monologue recordings that you do, but I find them very interesting, very thoughtful. And so uh, I'm excited for the discussion we'll have today. But again, first, maybe you can just give a brief intro to yourself, uh, the team, your role, what you guys have been doing, and then we'll, we'll take it wherever it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for for all those things. Uh, the The team is the Perth Heat, and it's it's the Bitcoin baseball team as we refer to it now inside of the organization. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to have a relationship with the CEO of the team, uh, whose name is Steve Nelkovsky. And I was able to orange pill him. And you know, you get talking as any Bitcoiner does, and you're trying to poke holes in your own narrative and trying to spot where the gaps are. Uh, and you come up with different ways to orange peel people in different ways to bring them along and sort of meet them where they are. And the, the time that I had caught Steve uh, was just a, at the time where uh, the Heat were looking to take things to the next level in their own play, uh, you know, in, in their own league. And they were looking for fresh ideas. And it just so happened that they had had an issue that Bitcoin could easily solve, very easily solve. Uh, it's just a business model that the team operates under. For those that don't know, it's, it's an Australian baseball team which baseball in Australia is probably not the first thing that people think of uh, when it comes right. to sports. But it is a professional league. You know, that we've got some fantastic players. But the way that the league, not survives, but the way that the league thrives and maintains a high level of um, professionalism is it has the majority of the players, or I shouldn't say the majority, a large number of players come over every year from the United States. Uh, and that's a great thing because it exposes them to, uh, you know, new opportunities, allows them to keep playing. The problem is that these people have to set up bank accounts every single time they come. Uh, there's always issues. You know, you, you as a professional organization, they land about a, about a week before the season starts. And if you're the CEO, if you're the coach, you want those athletes on the field, right? They're there to play baseball. They're not there to set up bank accounts. 
uh, and it was taking an extremely long time and there was always complications and you would have players arrive and for four days they would be looking for bank accounts. They would be trying to figure out, you know, you had to get your birth certificate, you had to get your mom's maiden name, signed off some document and it just wasn't working for them. Uh, and Steve spotted an opportunity to come in and talk to the board about maybe uh, thinking about adopting Bitcoin to solve that problem. Uh, and that one conversation with myself, uh, the owners and the board turned into, uh, you know, over the course of about 12 months, deciding that the heat were going to go all in on Bitcoin. And they were going to grab the bull by the horns and say, you know, we know it's going to it's going to be hard. We know there's going to be holes where there shouldn't be. And it's going to be more difficult than the legacy system to operate in currently. But we believe in the future and we think this is an opportunity that we can take advantage of. And that's exactly what happened. So, uh, yeah, the heat decided to go all in uh, on Bitcoin, everything that you can possibly think of. And really, it was for me uh, as a Bitcoiner, uh, someone that had an incredible amount of experience doing it for myself, right? Doing it as an individual. There are certain things you can and can't do. It's, it's much easier in that space and uh, seeing, but it really was my dream to see, well, let's, let's see what happens if an organization goes on. Like, why couldn't they? The, the solutions seem to be there. Uh, we might have to piecemeal some things together, but it looks like an opportunity to be able to, uh, to make a difference and to see whether or not this is going to work. And lo and behold, uh, that is exactly what we've been doing for the last year is everything you can think of Bitcoin, whether it's holding on the balance sheet, whether it's uh, paying players in Bitcoin, sponsorships in Bitcoin, uh, using Bitcoin and Lightning at the ballpark to be able to buy beer, uh, concessions, merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and one of my selling points to the board was, and the reason why in the end everyone was sort of on board with it, was that when we launched, we said uh, the systems that we have in place now to do anything, to do anything inside of the organization, we're not going to be the same. Uh, six months from now, we're not going to be the same 90 days from now, we're not going to be the, the, the same 30 days from now. It's just going to be a constant uh, battle to try and figure out and try and help the ecosystem grow with a business of our size, because it's not, you know, it's not a micro strategy, right? There's not uh, thousands and thousands of employees, you know, there's less than 100 employees uh, at the company. And so we don't have the resources of having, you know, a giant accounting team or lawyers or anything like that. It's, it's very much a small to mid-sized business. Um, and that opens up a whole new space. So it's been exciting since then uh, to, to see the progress that we've made. Yeah. I want to get into some of the, the details of how this is all working. But first, um, you know, you sound like you were the closet Bitcoiner that was uh, orange pilling people or just kind of waiting for your moment to strike as so many of us are. What, uh, I mean, you don't sound Australian. What was your involvement with an Australian baseball, baseball team? You know, how did oh, you no, I just, I just be involved to know in all this? I, yeah, I just happened to know Steve uh, socially. And that was where the conversation got started. And I had, you know, like mm -hmm. I mentioned before, um, I was always on the lookout to, you know, I have, I have uh, immense skin in the game to be enthusiastic about finding holes in the narrative. So I'm constantly testing it on as many people as I can to meet them where I can to see where maybe I have, because when you come along with a solution like Bitcoin and you believe or you start to think that you understand it and you start to, it starts to make everything look a little bit clearer, there are those moments for any, hopefully, you know, it could be sane or insane person to go, am I the only, you know, is, is the problem me that I can see this and right. other people can't? So you're constantly checking that against whatever you might come up against. And as you get more answers and as you get used to doing it, it gets a little bit easier uh, to do. And, yeah, you know, it was just constant sort of pressure. You know, I don't, I don't really push it on anybody, but Steve was at a point where he wanted to know about it personally. And then, you know, he, he saw the writing on the wall, kudos to him that said, well, if it works for me, right, if it makes me a better person or it puts me in a better position to move forward, 
uh, with a strong foundation, why can't it work for an entire organization? Right? It's just a, a group of people pointed at the same goal. And that goal is to be really good at baseball. And now the fun part is, is this is something where, you know, you initially don't think, oh, better money, better baseball. But that's exactly, <laughs> you know, you do the work to, you do the work to think about it. Uh, and it actually turns out that, yes, that, that Bitcoin can, can fix baseball. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what we're working on. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and the board was largely receptive to this because that's often the stumbling block. You know, there's a lot of board like people that just aren't up to date on this stuff. And, and, and a lot of it, of course, the Bitcoin pitch can often sound too fantastical, right? As you just said, Bitcoin fixes baseball too. What you're telling me it fixes money and it somehow fixes baseball. I mean, you just sound like a hype man. This doesn't sound possible. And so how did you convince a, you know, a board to get on, <laughs> to get on board? With this yeah well it was a you know it was a long process of uh multiple meetings and getting them to read books and getting them to understand that there is actual value to be there but it, it starts with little wins right like number one they trusted steve uh, as the ceo they trusted him when when he brought this to them that okay it was something that we should stop and listen to because it will be will be able to put us in a better position to win baseball games really because that's the, the organization exists to win baseball games right so how is this going to help so we framed it in that way. Uh, the, the, the payment of players was the easiest one. We went in with an easy solution, uh, which is, you know, it's very easy to demonstrate. This is how you save money. This is how you become a better baseball team. This is how the players are more happy. This is how we get that. We encourage more players to come here is you have this ability to pay them in this. Uh, you don't get any of the issues that they were having before of keeping players off the field. And we went from one win to another. As soon as they saw, okay, this is actually a win, why, why, why isn't someone else doing this? Okay, you explain why no one else is doing it. Uh, and then you go on to the next problem. And you say, well, okay, so we've solved that problem of being able to play players whenever we want, right? Uh, so now the next thing is uh, the fees that are at the ballpark for transactions. We can actually lower those, lower those to almost zero. Uh, okay, that's a win. Tell us more. And you just slowly onboard them to the idea. And yes, it is a as I mentioned before, it's not the it's not the world's biggest league, right? It's not the New York Yankees. Um, the owners and the board that are involved, they, you know, you have to remember when this was. This is as Bitcoin is climbing to all time record right. highs. There is like there is a it's in the air of maybe there is something to this, right? I don't mm -hmm. know what it is, but maybe there is something to it, and it just opened the door to have someone there like myself and Steve who were, who were open to answering questions and not saying you're crazy for even thinking about this. These people, this is not all they do, right? The owners of the club, they have businesses significantly larger and they see this as an opportunity to go, well, let's just test the waters. Let's see mm -hmm. what the reaction is going to be like. Number one, from the fan base, from the journalists, from the legacy media, like are people going to jump all over this and think it's some sort of a scam? Is it going to be, is there going to be blowback? This is almost like a little you know, it's like a Petri dish of let's watch and see what happens in an area where it can make a large impact, but the risk is significantly smaller. So they were, they were enthusiastic uh, once they got on board and once they saw how many solutions that Bitcoin offered. And, and the best part was they offered it for free, right? That's the beauty of Bitcoin. This is, we are just tapping in to what everyone else in the network is doing. They're all making the baseball team better. Right now, around the clock, there's people working on things, making the network stronger, faster, better. And we just accrue that advantage just by sitting here, just by deciding mm -hmm. to participate. Uh, so they, you know, they, they saw the future and, and they've been so uh, supportive and so positive about all the things that are happening because now they start to see the results. Now they start to see mm -hmm. the building and, and all the process behind the scenes. And it hasn't certainly it has not been easy. 
uh, it has been, you know, my, my role was supposed to be just to onboard them and say, okay, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Uh, and very quickly after we released the, after sort of we went public with what we were doing, it became apparent that you can't just at this stage in Bitcoin, you really cannot just be a, a company that does Bitcoin, right? Especially if you're a forward facing company, like we are in sports where you're having fans, you're having people, you're, you're offering a service. We, we have to educate at the same time because there, there just isn't enough out there. We got inundated with other sports teams, other organizations just wanting to know the playbook. Like, how did you do this? How did you, like you say, how did you talk to the board? What do you do for taxes? How do you actually pay the players? How do you do any of these things? Uh, and so that was really where it was like, okay, I'm actually going to have to to stay on here and actually help uh, more. And the volume of work, as you can imagine, none of the systems in place, you know, like mm. spoiler alert, it's it's really great for individuals to to buy, to hold Bitcoin, to transact all these things. Like for small to medium businesses, it is still, you, you, there's no like plug and play. <laughs> you yeah. know, this is like, we are coming up with very uh, unique solutions to all the problems that we have. Um, but the beauty of it, like I said before, is what we told the board and what I've told every single company that we have been lucky enough to work with is that if you have some crazy harebrained idea that you want to use and it involves Bitcoin, let us know because we can be, we, we want to be the place where even Bitcoiners can come and they can go, what is, what is it going to look like six months from now? What, is, what are we going to be pushing 12 months from now? We want to be doing that first. We want to be the ones to say, we have this community of people because the fans have embraced it. The players have embraced it. Uh, obviously the organization has all the people working there have, they, they, we understand the mission and the mission is how can we make this thing as robust as possible? And the answer, what we can do, the organization is we can say, we'll put our hands up and try anything. So if you have an idea, if you have a concept, if you have a piece of technology, if you have anything to do with Bitcoin, where you want thousands of people to access it on the weekend or to be able to play with it or to be able to test it or, or whatever it might be, let us know. And that really is the, the role that we've tried to take on. Uh, and it's been very beneficial to see, but it's also been eye-opening because mm -hmm. there is still, you know, there's still so much work to do and you can get on Bitcoin Twitter and you can see, man, it looks like there's a lot going on. There's lots of, all the, all the uh, bases must be covered. It's like, no, you get in the, the weeds and there's, <laughs> there's work to be done. Sure. Well, you don't even know what bases need to be covered until you do what you guys are doing, which is trying to integrate this into a domain or scale that has not yet been, you know, trialed effectively. So you're going to learn a ton of stuff and, and hopefully enterprising Bitcoiners out there will hit you guys up just to see what you have learned. You know, what kind of solutions are you looking for? What would, what would make the whole process easier? I mean, ho hopefully uh, you're getting some of those inquiries, but are you, to your knowledge, the first, is it chief Bitcoin officer? Is that chief your title? Officer, yeah. Are you the first uh, chief Bitcoin officer in the world, your knowledge? I think, I think so. I haven't seen it in print anywhere else. So that's a, that's, I think it's unique, <laughs> but, how does, but it, how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, it, it, it is, uh, gotta be yeah, pretty cool. It's a little bit strange. It's a little bit strange until, you know, you start to think about it. And the more that I have conversations with other, especially other sports teams that have been interested, uh, there's been a number of different leagues, organizations, everything from, you know, your top four sports and, you know, like your NFLs and your uh, MLBs in, in the States to other organizations outside of that, to smaller ones. Uh, it has been that I sort of overlooked, as you do, once you get so involved in something, you forget how far you've come in knowledge, how far you, right. you know, you really are like Bitcoin. It's, it's so small, it's so nascent that the, the knowledge that you're able to build up that you have 
that uh, other people in this space have. You take for granted because you're constantly talking with people like this that also share that knowledge. But the, the mm -hmm. gap that we have to fill to the normies is so incredibly large. And because the solutions aren't there to plug and play, you know, you think about it like, again, something easy like the internet uh, in 1995, right? There's no Squarespace. You can't start, you can't tell someone, just go to Squarespace, start up the website, you'll have it in four, four hours. You'll have the whole thing done. You can just go to Shopify. Those things don't exist yet. Those things are coming. But those things come by trial and error of organizations like ours going, what do, what does the Squarespace of Bitcoin look like? Like, how do we make this plug and play so that everyone, mom and pop can jump on board because mom and pop are coming to the ballpark. <laughs> These are the people that we're exposing to. And, you know, they, what we wanted in the ballpark experience, because a lot of it was, you know, a lot of the waves that we have made in the legacy media has just been online, has been uh, national. Those people aren't coming to the ballpark and physically seen, but there are fans that come to the ballpark, thousands and thousands of fans every weekend come to the ballpark and they want to know, they want to know what Bitcoin is. They want to know what all this thing has been about. And our goal was to make it as easy as possible so that when they show up to the ballpark, they get immediate wins, runs on the board of this is not, you know, number one, the, the proof of work that the team has built up in the community. We wanted to leverage that, right? It's been around uh, 32 years, 33 years now in the community, the most winning team in Australian baseball history. Uh, and it has a very strong fan base. Uh, and we wanted those people to come and to be easily integrated into the system and be able to operate inside of it. And so that was what the whole ballpark experience is set up around. And it's been really phenomenal to see the reaction of everyone and to see people joining in. Uh, and, and, but that, that gap to those individuals, that knowledge that we have is going to be valuable in the future. Like we will have to onboard these people and someone is going to have to do it. Someone is going to have to be inside of the organization like for taking payments, what are we going to do? Are we going to run? Uh, are we going to run our own? Are we going to run it through something like Ibex? How are we going to take lightning payments? That's a question. It's like, do we want to get started now? Do we want the easy way in? Do we want the hard way? Uh, is someone is our team going to be looking after this? Is it just going to be me? Do I just want to plug and play? Uh, all of those things need answers. And someone like myself is I, I'm basically inside of the organization. I'm basically the keeping my finger on the pulse of going, okay, where can we shift to next? What are some of the solutions we need now? How do we jerry-rig this thing together so we can get something that's working um, and then communicate with the organizations that we're working with to say, listen, this is, this is like prototype A <laughs> and we're going to make mm -hmm. it work this week. But man, next week, it would be great if we had at least, you know, version 8.1 or something uh, because yeah, there, there, is, there is a need for feedback from the real world. You know, it's like it's not just building inside of the ecosystem. It's taking it out and battle testing against other things because the expectations that we're up against are the legacy system where everything is sort of mm -hmm. plug and play. Everybody knows it. So someone is going to have to help mig migrate those individuals to this new space. And, and that's really is the, yeah. the role. Yeah, you know, and, and also something that and this is probably, you know, Bitcoiners put themselves in this situation and I don't think I don't think we can really help it. But we're so emphatic about the, the benefits and the potential benefits and the merits of this new system. But when it comes time for implementation and, you know, so-called normies or people that aren't as knowledgeable about this stuff as we are, they bump up against all the frictions that it still has in crossing over from the legacy system to this one. And they're like, Hey, what the hell? You guys said this fixes everything. And the, you know, that this is clunky and it's, I just, you know, I just made this mistake. This didn't work. And so, and again, we put ourselves in that position, but it, it is, when we make these orange pill pitches and when we, you know, discuss the merits of Bitcoin, I think it's always important to 
like have a perspective of that this is going to take time, right? This is not fully formed yet. This is a process. What we're saying is that something incredibly valuable is emerging and it behooves an individual or an organization to adopt it early and get familiar with it and, and start accessing the benefits of it. But it doesn't mean that it's fully formed and everything's going to be, you know, super easy from the get-go. And I think it's, uh, you know, and of course, like in the media, this is often... They typically focus on those parts, the frictions, the, the, the non-fully formed parts. The Bitcoiners typically focus on, you know, 10 years in the future when everything's going to be amazing on a Bitcoin standard. And it's that perhaps it's that gap in between that uh, needs to be explained potentially by someone in your role to people so that they can understand that there's a ton of potential here, but it's a process and we're in the process and we're figuring out our way. You know, it's the journey is worth it, but it is a journey. You know, and so, um, you know, kudos to you for assuming that role. Do you think that it seems, it seems obvious to me that a lot of organizations are going to have uh, a chief Bitcoin officer in the future, because it's not just a matter of like, Hey, you know, we sell something online, you know, plug in the visa merchant or the, the, the payment merchant or whatever, like the, the potential of Bitcoin is so great. And as you just described, the the work required to implement it and to explain it and all that kind of stuff is so great too right now that it would seem like a dedicated person or even a team would be necessary to onboard an organization. Of course, it depends on the size of the organization, how big that team would be, but it seems like a, an obvious need or at least great benefit that a lot of organizations could avail of by seeing this early and hiring someone like yourself to, to foster or, or to facilitate that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing that you have to remember, or the, or the way that I like to look at it, is we have to look at what the tool is solving for, right? Bitcoin solves so many things. It touches so many things because really it is a question. Is a tool for allocating energy more efficiently, right? That's what it comes down to. And we are constantly, every decision, every decision that we make, every action that we take is an energy question. And if we can allocate energy more efficiently using Bitcoin by leveraging the power of Bitcoin, well, then that affects every single decision. So that affects every single area of the business is going to be affected. So it's not just one thing. It's not just the finance department. Everything will be affected by Bitcoin. Because if you buy into the Bitcoin standard, you are a more efficient energy allocator than the person next to you, than, than, than your opposition, than the, your competitors. And how can you leverage that to the maximum ability comes down to how, what areas are we going to go to first? What is the low-hanging fruit? What are those reserves, energy reserves that we can... Uh, Put, on, put aside now so that we can use to leverage in the future. Uh, so I think absolutely, it's going to be, uh, it, it just touches on so many things and it moves so quickly. Like just in the time that we have been working and that we've announced these things, like the, the systems behind the scenes have changed so many times because of just how fast it's moving because solutions are coming out. And to think that someone is just gonna be able to, for the time being, plug and play and get something that just works seamlessly is, is just not the case. So the reality is, like you say, there is going to be a wave of, of a need for individuals who have this kind of number one interest, uh, but then also the knowledge of exactly how, the, like how the system works, the X's and O's of uh, exactly what is going on here. And then where can we go first? Like what are some of the easy wins we can get now? Give us a solution for X, let us build on that. Uh, and then we'll try, uh, you know, Y and Z, but for now give us early wins. And that's how I think hopefully the, the, the snowball starts inside those organizations. Yeah. Th this is what I, I think is unique. And what I like about what you guys are doing is, because so many, you know, people are starting to get that Bitcoin is going to hang around. It's probably not going to go away. And so they're like, well, we need to be able to accept, accept Bitcoin payments. 
You know, so like McDonald's in El Salvador, for example. All right, we need to accept. And so many people are seeing it as just simply another means of accepting payments. Whereas you guys are saying, as, as you just, you know, articulated, that this is a, a method of allocating energy more efficiently. And how, me- how relevant is that? And the answer is it's relevant on every layer of the organization and everything we do. And so you guys have gone all in and to, to say, like, let's figure out in what ways we can bring efficiencies and greater performance to the entire organization by integrating this everywhere where we can, everywhere where it could facilitate an improvement or be a catalyst for, you know, advancement in some way. And I do think that's the proper way to look at this, not just, you know, not just as that narrow, okay, some people want to pay with Bitcoin, let's, let's allow it. You guys are leveraging the entire benefit or attempting to leverage the entire benefit of this new asset, this new, you know, energy transfer technology, let's say. And it's super exciting, you know, because, and as you, as you said, I think it takes a smaller scale organization to do that, you know, to be able to convince all the stakeholders that it's a risk worth taking and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think it's awesome. I love it. How have the, um, how have the fans responded to this? So you show up to the, the, the field and you're seeing Bitcoin stuff everywhere. You're seeing the option to pay, you're seeing it, you know, branding logos on the jerseys, all that kind of stuff. What has been their reception? Cause I'm sure for a lot of them, a lot of them, it's still very novel. You know, how have, how have transactions at the field gone with that? And then, uh, on top of that, the players, you know, you mentioned that one of the prime motivations of this was, you know, more efficient, getting set up more efficiently when players come from overseas, being able to pay them. I'm sure there's a process of explaining that, that to them, the merits of Bitcoin and kind of giving them the, giving them the orange pill pitch. Um, and as you mentioned, you kind of started this when we were at all time highs and now we're in the depths of the bear market. And, you know, I know the hardcores can contextualize that and have a, a healthy framework on that. But a lot of people that puts a bad taste in their mouth or it feels like a punch in the gut. So how has, how have those two things uh, been for you guys? I would say in, in terms of the fans, the fans have been fantastic. Like you say, there is a whole bunch of, uh, I mean, you can do everything at the ballpark with Bitcoin. Uh, we make that very clear with all the signage and everything like that. Uh, but at the same time, we didn't want to alienate anybody or scare anybody away because really people are coming there for the baseball. Bitcoin, uh, the story goes, Bitcoin makes the team better at baseball. Like that has to mm. be the core piece of the business. And that, that is, again, it's, it's, you know, it's laughable when we think about our early conversations with legacy media of like, I don't understand, I don't understand how Bitcoin makes the baseball team better. Like that would, because right. that was the line. It's like Bitcoin makes, well, that's not, you know, how many hours do you have? Cause this is going to be quite a conversation. Just, <laughs> uh, we're going to have to do some work on that. But the fans, they want to see really good baseball. And if we can, uh, make that first impression of Bitcoin, just not scary. Really? Like, like I said, we're leveraging the proof of work of the team inside of the community, where we just wanted it to be a place where you could come and learn about Bitcoin from some from individuals that are knowledgeable enough to steer you in the right direction. uh, And to give you information that is not, you know, and, and not that we found this, because I really think the narrative is dying around even in the legacy media that we encountered very early on in the process of Bitcoin being some sort of dark web uh, money laundering scheme or Ponzi thing. Like we didn't get any of that. What we got from the legacy media and from fans, what we got is general, genuine inquiry, like genuine interest in I've been thinking about this for a long time and no one has come out. No one has been uh, not brave enough, but I don't know anybody that's actually involved, but I've been curious. And now I know the team. Uh, and I like the team and now they're doing it. 
So tell me more now, because I know you guys aren't a scam. It's like, well, how is this actually working? So really it has opened doors to, to them. And the process has been incredibly smooth. Probably the smoothest part of the entire Bitcoin transition has been transactions at the ballpark. <laughs> Using Lightning at the ballpark has been phenomenal. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the Ibex team that has been helping us. Uh, the, the, it has been, that has been the smoothest part. Like it just works. It's the easiest thing to, to show the staff early on. Like, okay, so we've got a number of different bars around the stadium. You've got ticketing. You've got all those things that need to be able to accept Bitcoin. I mean, I didn't even have to, sh I didn't even have to show the individuals. I was just like, this is the, the till that we're going to be working on. And it, it's easier than, than using Square or anything like that. So at the ballpark, uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, the fans have, as long as the baseball team performs, the fans enjoy that experience. So that's what they want more of. Uh, and if the players get behind it, which they have, uh, then the fans enjoy that as well. It's like, it's, it's all really, Bitcoin is a sidecar to the baseball but it does make the baseball better for, for players, for players, athletes are the easiest people to orange pill. I don't know if you have had, if you have had conversations with athletes, with professional athletes before, uh, they understand load time preference better than anyone. That is the entire job, right? No one can do the, the workouts for you. No one can get better at hitting a baseball for you, right? You have to do those things. You have to embody low time preference. Think about all of the, the opportunity cost of the energy that these individuals have invested in a gamble to see if they're going to be good enough to, to play at the highest level. Like they understand that I'm going to have to put off today to get better for a reward later on. And they see these things. And the, if, if you speak to them in a language, which they understand, which is athletics and which is hard work and which is determination and grit and teamwork and coming together, and they understand energy. You know, it, they, they may not understand it the same way uh, or that they might not think about money in the same way that I do about energy and understanding that, but they certainly understand low time preference uh, and they are the easiest people to say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I understand it completely. Now, we were also very clear that the organization is operating on a Bitcoin standard. That doesn't mean that you have to operate on a Bitcoin standard, but what you're getting from us now, like the, the contracts are not denominated in Bitcoin, right? They're a carryover right. from before. They're denominated in Australian dollars, but we are giving you Bitcoin. So now what you do with that Bitcoin is up to you. We can help you if you want to get it back into fiat, but you will be getting Bitcoin from us. <laughs> so that means, wow. Okay. Exclusively? So they're getting Bitcoin from us and then they, it's up to them to decide right. what they're going to do with it, right? Well, we, we obviously facilitate that. Yeah, we wanted, yeah, yeah. Basically, the information or the, the orders that we had from Steve and from myself and from the board was it whatever we do, whatever process that we implement across the organization when it comes to Bitcoin, it has to be easier than whatever we were doing before, right? It cannot be more difficult for the players. It can't be more difficult. They, they can't have any more work on their plate than they have now or else we're losing. Right, because mm -hmm. that is how we win. We, we have to make it more efficient. So for them, we said the easiest way that they can get paid, the easiest way you tell us what percentage you want to take in Bitcoin um, and what percentage you want to take in fiat. We are operating via Bitcoin, but we can make those, tra those transformations for you. And what that does is, again, it opens up the door to curiosity. It opens up the door to saying, why, why, would, this, why, would, why would my team do this? Why would they go through this process? Why would they think that it would make them a better baseball team? Uh, and those questions is then it's like, as you know, you get a little bit of skin in the game, you get a little bit of interest, and then all of a sudden it sucks you in. And all of a sudden you start thinking about things a little bit differently and it changes uh, the way that you approach the world because, uh, you know, 
vision of what is actually happening becomes just a little bit clearer and and athletes really respond to that so from the playing group it's it's been really phenomenal but we have we have certainly had uh you know interesting conversations around what has happened over the last 12 months and how that mm. affects the percentages um, and how that affects sort of the attitudes going forward. And I mean, I don't want you to share anything you don't want to, but both from the pl- the perspective of the players, as well as it sounds like the company went on a so-called Bitcoin standard in November, 2021. And so to whatever degree you have, you know, your own savings and stuff like that, they've, you know, they're experiencing a bear market as well. Has that influenced the resolve of the board, the team, you know, just how are you guys internally and in, in communication with the players riding out this bear market, let's say, broadly speaking? Yeah, it, it, it has been an interesting uh, sort of 24 months with the organization because actually due to, we announced, okay, we're going on a Bitcoin standard. Uh, the season last year was canceled. Uh, I'm sure you were following along with all the COVID craziness that was happening in mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, but it was, you know, absolutely insane. Uh, and they shut yep. the entire season down. So we announced, this is what we're going to do. They shut the whole season down. That's it. No playing, no nothing. And because the league relies so heavily on imports from America to come over and play games from, like, our affiliation is with the Tampa Bay Rays. So they send down a number of players every single year uh, to be able to play. What that means is there's extreme turnover year to year. So we often will not field anywhere near the same team the next year. So basically, all of the work that we had done last season to get ready for it, all that was gone. None of the none of the mm-hmm. systems rolled out. None of the Bitcoin happened at all. It was essentially more small business side. Yes, those things going on a Bitcoin standard. Yes, uh, those things happened. But anything with the players, anything with the season, anything with the uh, you know the stadium concessions, that all went away. Um, and the season just started. So we've had our first real run at this with the players, with the, with the stadium, with the fans back in the 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 seats. Uh, what was that? Two weeks ago now. So it's been a long time of sitting around talking about all the things that we were going to do and then finally implementing right. it. Uh, so the, the players haven't had uh, the same sort of exposure, I would say, to the entire market. But, you know, they, they, are, they, they understand uh, the benefits like any professional athlete. Uh, you know, we don't, want them, we don't want them using the majority of their time trying to figure this stuff out. We want them being really, really good at baseball, right? And that is what Bitcoin allows them to do. That's the best part. Like you don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, Bitcoin allows you to focus on what you should be doing the best. How do you transform energy the best for the extended order? The answer is you play really good baseball, right? That's it. That's what you've decided to do. Somehow in the whole mess of things, somehow that means more energy reserves for everyone because you're really good at baseball. So all you should be doing is getting really, really, really good at baseball because that sets an example, right? And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but you know, that is uh, the, the system around baseball is entirely around professional sports, right? The, the revenue, the ad revenue model um, is, has been consumed by fiat, right? It is a fiat model. Um, it certainly doesn't have to be that way, but there hasn't been a different system available to be able to challenge the efficiency of the legacy system. And I think Bitcoin changes that. And in part, uh, what we're doing with things like the Sats for Stats program is that is bringing on players more than anything else. Right. We can, I can talk to the players in the locker room. I can talk to them in meetings. Uh, Steve can talk to them, the CEO. Uh, but nothing, it's nothing like seeing the sats come streaming in from people that they've never met or never heard of. Uh, and, and the value for value model in sports really has been the, the best orange pill for these athletes because they can 
they can see it coming in. They, can, they, they don't have to listen to me. You know, they don't have to trust me. They don't have to trust uh, the board or the whole organization. They can see it for themselves. Um, and that has been by far uh, the best the best way to really get the enthusiasm going. You already start to see the competition in the locker room between individuals trying to see who can provide the most value. And it's it's been right. really, really eye-opening. That's awesome. We're definitely, we'll, we'll get to that in one second. But just back to the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, uh, people that, the fans that go to the ballpark to catch a game, how many of them actually have Bitcoin to spend? And do you have some means of them acquiring Bitcoin at the ballpark, either through an ATM or through like a, a cashback thing at the, the teller? Or is there something like that that people can acquire so that they can spend? This, this, has, been, this has been the biggest, uh, yeah, the biggest issues that we have tackled is essentially, you know, long story short, trying to get the stadium to be, uh, you know, a quasi exchange for individuals. Exchange. Because you're right. <laughs> like, how do we get individuals? How do we get individuals to get lightning uh, sats in a lightning wallet? Like that is what they need mm. to be able to see the benefits. Uh, so how do we do those things? Uh, and at the moment, no, there is no solution. We tried a number of different areas that all got knocked back uh, to be able to get sats uh, in the hands of people. But we are, you know, we're working on that every single week is another, is another solution. We're, we're trying to uh, do a, a bunch of different stuff with BitRefill for uh, like LNURL withdrawals from uh, the stadium. So on the big screen, we'll flash a URL. You'll be able to, we call it stealing sats, where the individuals who uh, have a wallet will be able to pull uh -huh. sats straight from the screen and then be able to spend uh -huh. them on the players or be able to boost the players as they're playing. Uh, so that's the idea. Every time a home run happens or every time a, a big play or a strikeout happens, fans will be able to steal sats. Uh, and so that's exciting. But no, there is no, there is no like Bitcoin ATM solution there that is ready to go. You have to come... Uh, already sats loaded up. But the, the, the amount of individuals that have been coming has been so encouraging to see because it, it sort of has become, at least in Australia, it's become, you know, like our little Bitcoin beach, right? It's the Bitcoin ballpark. Mm. Like people are coming because they want to help this circular economy that is building up and, and make sure that it's working because it has become a, it has become a test case. Like people are watching it that, that have no involvement with Bitcoin, hoping to say, well, look, it failed. Like it didn't work. I told you it wasn't going to work. Whereas all the Bitcoiners realize, well, whatever is good for Bitcoin, right? Every Bitcoiner knows whatever's good for Bitcoin is good for them. So everyone is mm -hmm. doing everything they can to try and make the system as robust as, as it can possibly be. That's awesome. Are the impediments regulatory? You know, like, for example, could you sell <clears throat> a Bitcoin beer and basically you charge the amount for a beer and then add 10 bucks onto it and you know, you, you send them lightning as they're buying the beer. Is that not possible because you then become like a money transmitter or something and the, the regulators <laughs> are just all over you? Yes, it, 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 we, <laughs> we worked on a system. We worked on a system, uh, something akin to that, where you were essentially buying, buying gift cards, but the gift cards were sats. Uh, right. and, and that got completely shut down. It's, it's, yeah, there, there are many different hurdles to jump over. And it came down to, we, we have X amount of resources before... Uh, the season. This, these are the things that we can tackle now. Like again, like setting up our lightning. We could have used BTC Pay Server. We could have gone through the work. We could have done that thing. Uh, Ibex had the solution that was like right out of the box. It just worked. It's an easy win. Get it on the board. They've been fantastic in supporting all of the things that we've been doing because they bought into this idea of any crazy idea that you have. Like let's pump it out. Let's try it. Let's get it out in the hands of people and come to us, and we will be the test case. Like we will be in a, in a weekend, if we get 10,000 people through the, the gates, that's a lot of people 
uh, there testing and not in an environment where I'm certainly not expecting everything to work straight away. You know, you wouldn't normally get that in another business environment. You're looking for solutions that work. I'm looking for solutions that give us a a peek into what the future is going to be. Give me the worst version of whatever you have now and let's see where it breaks. Uh, That's the Mm. feedback that we can provide. Like that is the gift that we can give. Uh, that is all that we can do. I'm not a programmer. I'm not a coder. Uh, I'm not going to do those things, but I can I can push it out into the real world. And I can talk about it with people and I can orange pill a little bit uh, and then I can report back and say, hey, that that bombed. Like we can't do that. We can't, whatever system we're using is terrible. We can't do that. <laughs> and we've already seen that. Like the the amount of changes that we've already seen in the LNURL pay, uh, it's, been, it's been so fast to see how they've been able to update and how the system has changed that it's already more effective. And the numbers are are, are going to blow your mind for how, for how the participation has been. It's been wild. Awesome. Um, all right, well, let's, let's kind of start our way into that now. I mean, one of the things that I find, I mentioned this at the beginning, so uh, fascinating or, you know, interesting about the way you guys have approached this is again, not just, it's not a surface level thing. Like Bitcoin's, uh, Bitcoin's getting a lot of hype. People want Bitcoin. Let's offer Bitcoin. I mean, you, you come at this from a very fundamental level, as you alluded to earlier about your the, the analogy with energy. But you also, I mean, you look at sport differently than most people, right? You're not, you know, I've heard you, you know, in your monologues and in your writing say that sport's not just about entertainment. You know, it, it actually feeds into this whole energy narrative that you often articulate. So could you expand a little bit on your perspective on, you know, what sport actually is in, in the whole context of energy and also how Bitcoin amplifies that because that's effectively the motivation behind, you know, what you guys are doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the, 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 the way that I explain it is that uh, sports have been co-opted by a fiat mindset. And that fiat mindset is how, at, at the reason that any system exists now, right, is because life, what is, what is, what, wh- why does life exist? What is the existence of life, right? You always start with the small questions with Bitcoin. What is, <laughs> what is the purpose of life? What is it doing, right? It's pushing back uh, local entropy, right? It is creating order uh, out of disorder. And what is being ordered is energy. Energy is good for life because that means in an unstable, unknowable future, in an unpredictable universe, it can continue to exist. So life is always searching out energy reserves. And the more readily accessible those energy reserves, the better. So any system that is in place now is in place because it makes the extended order, right? The hive mind of humanity, it makes us more efficient, which means we have access to more energy reserves. So how does sports, the way that it is set up now, how does that allow for more energy reserves? Like how are we able to be more efficient because of the existence of sports? And the revenue model or the ad model is now is that we are selling fan attention. We're selling fan energy. That is what the, the league is optimized for. And when you optimize for something, you start to get away from what it was actually there for in the first place. Like, why do sports actually exist? What is their purpose? What do they do uh, at a fundamental level? Why before, the, before it was crazy and before you had advertisers everywhere and it was all over the jerseys and everyone was selling attention, why did people go watch? What, what was the purpose, right? Well, when you start to break it down, it's almost like... Uh, Jason, I think, what's the guy's name? Jason Lowry, who talks about Mm -hmm. the idea of abstract power versus real power, right? In a world that is constructed of abstract power, there's abstract power everywhere that starts to take over. And all of a sudden, professional sports come along. And it's a spot where we can put aside the abstract power. We can just have real power, right? Everyone's going to agree to these rules. And you're going to be able to see in an afternoon, you're going to be able to see low time preference 
behavior in action. Because that is what you were looking at, right? We talked about it. Mm -hmm. Athletes, you need to be successful at sports, hard work, determination, practice, grit, resiliency, all of these things. I mean, low the problem with low time preference behavior is it's low time preference. It's really hard to show an example of what the benefits are of that to someone in a very compact, uh, brief format. If you're going around, if you're in the community and you want to show those things off, like this is what it can do for you in the future. Really, sports are a avenue to view greatness on display, right? It's like going mm -hmm. to an art gallery. You want to see what these individuals have been able to accomplish because of low time preference behavior. And that is why I believe that is what that is. That is where the reserves come from, because people will go away and they will take away that information and go, oh, in my life, all I have to do is work hard. All I have to do is practice. And then I will be able to accumulate the skills necessary by investing the energy necessary to do the work uh, to better myself. And that's how that's why sports exists in the first place is to be able to facilitate those things. But somewhere along the line, it got co-opted right by the fiat mindset of, well, how do we get more energy reserves out of something? We'll sell advertisements. Those advertisements will for the, the, the companies will pay for that time slot and the companies make the widgets and we make the energy we access excess energy because those widgets, right? The efficiency is at the end of the line. So those widgets at the end of the line, they're able to recycle that money back in and the thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we start optimizing for fan attention, right? It's if you think about the number of advertisements during the professional sports game, it's ludicrous. You watch a, a NFL game uh, and it's three hours long and it's an hour of commercials. An hour of commercials in a, in, a, in a two hour long game, it adds an extra hour. Think about just how much wasted energy that ends up being. You know, it's like, okay, now the question is, is it actually wasted energy? Is it wasted to have all of those people sitting there watching those ads? If at the end of the line, those companies are able to generate or transform enough energy um, to end up having reserves for the extended order? The answer is we don't know. We don't know because this has never been possible before because there's never been a system that has been able to challenge the fiat system in the sports world, right? There's never been another way to do a revenue model because the people who are providing the value, who are the athletes, right? And the organizers who are setting up everything, but really the people come to see the athletes, right? They don't come to see the owner. The owner is still putting mm -hmm. up the risk, but they don't come to see the owner. They come to see the people who are providing the value. There's never been a way. There's been too many people in the middle, right? The, the middleman problem, the, the, the third parties. There's too many people between the people providing the value and the people who actually value what is being provided, right? There was no way for that compensation to happen. So what ends up happening is all of these people get built up in the middle who are not actually adding to the energy reserves. They are not transforming more energy than they are, than they are using. And that builds and builds and builds and builds. And so the model starts to shift. And so sports itself begins to optimize for fan attention for fan energy, just like social media. It's like, if you are, you know, the classic, if you are, uh, if the product is free, or sorry, if the service is free, you are the product, right? Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that is happening with sports when it didn't actually, it certainly didn't start that way. That, that isn't why they exist now, but it has become this giant thing that for the first time ever now, harnessing Bitcoin and specifically lightning and microtransactions, what can happen is we can start to eliminate some of that middle ground and at the very least, right? Maybe the answer is what's actually more efficient to do with the, the ad model way. Like that could be the answer. We don't know because we've never tested it. We've never had a different approach that we could say, well, th that one's more efficient than this. Right now, that model has won out through efficiency. But for the first time ever now, uh, using value for value in sports, we can have individuals begin to boost these players. And what does that mean? Well, now, now instead of the individuals who are providing the value, instead of the athletes being employees of these teams, they become subcontractors, 
right? They're their own unique little business. They can take this value with them. They can take this ability. It's almost like, uh, what's a, what would be a good analogy? It's, yeah, it makes them anti-fragile, right? Because now they are not, they are not just all of their income, all of their, uh, all of their access to energy is not through one organization. It is spread out. And then they start to optimize their behavior, even their work ethic, even the things that they're practicing and the things they're doing, the, the way that they're interacting with people, the way that they're playing the game completely changes. Uh, and it, it shifts so many things. If this, if this model even has the, the smallest potential of just adding a few percentage points to player wages, uh, just how much it can shift in the overall mindset of the athletes and in the mindsets of the fans who are watching and what, what should be optimized for. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, I mean, again, as is so often the case with Bitcoin, it's amazing how one little change, you know, at the base layer, let's say, can facilitate so many significant changes down the line. And it's interesting, you know, your, your perspective on why sports emerge, you know, we, it's almost like they're both an aspirational and an inspirational thing, right? Like, why do we watch the Olympics? Why do we want to know who's the best at any, you know, given discipline? I think it's because, as you said, like, we relate to them in some way. We feel a connection. We, we, we you know, they're all, we're all humans, right? And we say, wow, that's what we are capable of. We don't say like, that's what that person is capable of. We see it as a collective thing. And I think part of the reason we do that is because, again, we want to draw inspiration from that. And as you say, I mean, sports are a great way to condense down the products of low time preference and really have them play out in, in a domain and, and prove themselves, right? The proof of work is on display, right? The proof of low, low time preference is on display. And it's interesting that the, perhaps one of the fiat perversions of which there are, of course, many, is that people are tuning in to observe low time preference, proof of work in order to be inspired to bring those things into their own life for the benefits that they may derive from doing so. But their attention as they're doing that is being hijacked for extremely high time preference behavior, i.e. all those commercials for all the fiat garbage that, those, you know, that, uh, that are served in those commercials. It's basically the antithesis of why they're, they're tuning in. You know, and it, it, again, it's a, I think it's just another great example of the perversion you get in this system. And it's, it, you know, it's fascinating to think about how Bitcoin brings a solution to this, not only from the perspective of the players, which I'd like to discuss more because I think it's extremely powerful, but when, when, these, when these solutions are more robust and when it's easier for audience members to have greater engagement with players or the game generally and not have their attention, uh, you know, not have a parasite on their attention, let's say, not have their attention siphon away to something that's the opposite of why they're tuning in, how much does that enrich the experience, you know, about, uh, of, of what they're there to do? So not only are they being inspired by what's going on, but now they're, they're directly participating in it, you know, and how much, how much more does that, uh, transfer that what they're, what they're witnessing into themselves? Cause that's what they're looking to do anyways, right? They're looking to invite that inspiration so that they can take it on later and be pumped up, inspired, and bring that into whatever their own pursuits are. And it just seems, it seems obvious that the more they're able to engage that and the less noise there is in that relationship, the more beneficial it's going to be for the, the, uh, the viewer as well, you know, the, the spectator. Um, so let's, let's discuss a little bit about what you guys have been doing in the value for value realm, because that's, 
again, this is another first that you guys are pioneering and, um, you know, early days, of course, with this, you know, this technology wasn't even available, you know, a year ago, basically. So what's, what's the experience been in, in, in establishing that direct relationship between spectators and the performance of players? Yeah, that is, that is essentially what we're trying to do is what you just said there, which is we are trying to eliminate the noise and amplify the signal. And the signal is the signal is easier to identify because of Bitcoin, because talk is cheap and sats are not right. There is uh, I know that if you are sending sats that you mean business because I know for a fact it can't be any other way. You had to transform energy in the physical world to get those sats. So I know there is a cost to you. So I know wherever you send those things. Whatever you're backing, I know there is truth there. Uh, so what we are trying to do is what you said, is trying to amplify the experience that both fans and players are getting during a broadcast, during a game, during an experience at the ballpark. Uh, and the way that we are doing that is much like what is happening in the fountain space for value for value podcasting. Uh, baseball is a unique sport because you only really have a one-on-one -on -one battle. Even though there's multiple players on the field, you really only have a one-on-one -on -one battle um, going on between the hitter uh, and the pitcher. So what we're doing is on the screen is every time a batter is up to, to the plate, that individual player has their own unique QR code that is an LNURL pay QR code for that individual. So you can be sitting watching the game. You open up your lightning wallet of choice that supports LNURL pay. Uh, you open it up, you scan, and you can send that individual sats uh, in real time as the game unfolds or right there, you know, person hits a home run, you send them a thousand sets. Um, anything happens, you like it, you send them a thousand sets. Anything you don't like, uh, you know, you don't send sets. <laughs> it's, it's a really, really easy way to begin to see how this interaction between fan and player works. And uh, right now, as I said, the, the problem with the technology right now is that it is in, it's in its infancy. Like if you were going to offer mm -hmm. this to any other company or sports uh, league, you would say it's not ready yet because of all the friction that is there. But the idea, like we've proven that the idea works. We now have the numbers from the opening weeks. Like we know that the thing actually works where you can be watching from anywhere. You can be watching from where you are. Uh, you know, you're in, I don't know, you're in Maine and you're having a gale time. You're watching the baseball. You can send 100 sats to one of our players who's running around the bases. They can get back to the dugout and they can see it there. It's already there waiting for them when they get back. Uh, and that is a, you know, it's a mind-blowing thing to not to, to the players, <laughs> but to the fans themselves, even when they see it, even they, when they try to sort of comprehend what is happening. Uh, it, that is the that is the way that we are trying to implement it by by boosting. And this is where you get a little bit of, you know, it is it is all about changing attitudes and perceptions around just the idea of because the very first thing, the very first piece of FUD that we knew, right? We had a, like a list of FUD of what people would be saying when we decided we were going to do this, whether, oh, it's going to affect things in real time. Like there's going to be betting some, there's going to be some way to manipulate the game somehow because you'd be able to play, uh, you'll be able to send sats to players. Uh, of course, no one having any idea that that's probably the the worst possible way that you could match fix is to do it on a, on a ledger that can't be <laughs> manipulated in any way. Like it's a terrible idea, uh, even without knowing that kind of stuff. The other thing was, why would we pay? Why would we pay athletes? They are already like, why would we send them? Why would we tip them? Basically, they're already the highest paid. They're already the, these extremely wealthy people. And it's naive on so many fronts. It's naive, first of all, that you're thinking, you know, you're immediately you go to Cristiano Ronaldo, you go to Lino Messi, and you think hundreds of millions of dollars, when in fact, you know, minor league baseball players, they, they used to pass around hats at the ballpark 
to when a, when a home run was hit, so you could throw a dollar in, so the person could eat. You know, the the, the, right. the wages are you know it's crazy. Um, but other than that, you have to ask yourself in the first place, like what is the first step to that? Why are the athletes paid that much in the first place? Like where is that value coming from? That that value is coming from you. <laughs> that is you. That is your energy being siphoned away. And we don't know if that is the actual true value because the market has been so closed off to the individuals that are able to send that much energy to those individuals. It's like now we can take that back for the very first time and we can see like maybe, just maybe, we have been significantly misallocating energy towards athletics. Like that is the thing that Bitcoin is going to tell us because Bitcoin is not going to lie, right? It is the truth. Mm -hmm. If people send sats, you know that they value the thing that is happening. And that really is one of the most exciting things that we're seeing. It's like, if you send sats, it must be true. And to see this come in, yeah. uh, the, the players have been, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been really, really exciting to see uh, the shift in the mindset of fans, people that have engaged in it. We've had people that had no idea about Lightning uh, walk through the process of getting a wallet, uh, getting sats, sending them through the excitement of actually doing it, uh, and, and then just having the technology work and be okay in this first iteration um, has been really important. But already, like I said, already there's improvements to the process of trying to get more and more people into the system to be able to understand what we're trying to do and, and how this is going to change sports forever. You know, it's <clears throat> a lot of people are doing this now. As you mentioned, podcasting 2.0 is kind of the first uh, use case or test case for this. And musicians are starting to figure it out as well. And even though it's so early and basically nobody in the world streams sets, you know, rel on a relative basis, it's, you know, the, the hardcore Bitcoiners do. Um, but even so, like a lot of musicians who, again, aren't the, aren't the messies of the, the musical world, right? They're just struggling musicians, basically. And they've, I, you know, they've popped up on, on Twitter and they basically said like, look, Spotify gives me 0. 0.0001 cent for a download per download or something like that. And I've been using, uh, streaming sats or value for value for a month and I've a hundred X my Spotify revenue. So even as early as it is the response thus far, and again, it's a tiny scale, but it does show like, wow, it seems like this is a way more efficient way to you know, as an artist, as an athlete to both, you know, showcase and reveal your value to a market and all the other benefits of, of, of having that direct relationship, which we, you know, we're obviously we're just scratching the surface. The first thing is payments, but you know, what will that flourish into once that relationship has been established? You know, how, how cool would it be for some of your boys to go back to the dugout and flick through an app that shows them the sats they got and messages from all the people that sent them. Like, what if they, what if they got, you know, they hit a dinger and they get like a, a couple million sats and it's like, yeah, way to go, man. Like, oh, that was awesome. Whatever. How much does that enhance their enjoyment of, of the experience of playing the game? How much does that motivate them to do better next time? How much does that motivate them to train harder? How much, I mean, how much joy does that just bring into their life generally to know that, because you're not getting that type of communication if you're just, you know, you're paid by the club, the club is paid by advertisers. You know, the, the, the spectators are like this amorphous blob that you, you don't really know much about, especially in the, if you're not a star, you know, you're like, people don't even know your name perhaps. And so like, whatever, you get your paycheck, you play, you show up, it is what it is. You do it for a few years and then you bounce. Whereas now you have that direct communication, motivation, relationship with all these people. And just, I just feel like from both sides, it enriches the experience tremendously, tremendously. And then once this starts to reach a scale, I mean, it starts motivating, you know, this, the, the economic incentive grows and grows and grows, you know, and it, it seems fairly, 
it seems fairly obvious that it will dramatically change things. Like let's use an extreme example. You're Steph Curry and everyone's on a Bitcoin standard and value for value and, and these sorts of payments are commonplace. Let's say you're on a three point streak, right? And you've just hit your six, your seventh and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people are just like, it's a, it's, it's a playoff game. It's game seven, whatever. And just like, oh my God, like, you know, and they're huge Steph fans. And every time he, he sinks another three, they're going ding, 50,000 sats, ding, 100,000 sats. And he gets back in the locker room at the end and he might have hundreds of thousands of, you know, US dollar equivalent, equivalent Bitcoin, if not more than that. I mean, if you get tens or hundreds of thousands of people sending five, 10, 15, 20,000 sats, that adds, I mean, at scale, that is enormous. And so he goes back to the logo. He's got an extra million bucks in his pocket, you know, or, or whatever it is. How much does that change the game? How much does that change how he trains, how he shows up, his, you know, everything? It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable to think how much of an impact this will have on both the players and the spectators of this sport. And, you know, probably cut out the middleman, which, in, which introduces a lot of that noise that we just referred to. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it on the head there with that direct access and what it changes. And what I have likened to this in the past too, is I don't know if, you, if you're a hunter, but it's the difference between uh, like for the athlete and for the fan itself, it's the difference between going and getting your steak uh, at the local supermarket and getting it out of the plastic wrap or actually going out there and, and uh, hunting the, the, the meat yourself and doing all of that work and, and getting direct access to it. There is something, there is a connection there when you consume that meal that is different than if you just walk down to the supermarket and pay with your debit card, right? That, that there is something tangible there where you can feel that connection. You can feel that, uh, that relationship that is built up. And that is certainly what is happening um, in, in this space as you start to, yeah, you start to eliminate that noise. And as, as you mentioned, the Steph Curry example, it's interesting because uh, I've, I've heard Michael Saylor talk about this idea in the past and I've sort of stolen it in, in that if you think of this all the way through to the future, to something like that Steph Curry, right? Now, everyone in the world has the ability to directly send value to Steph Curry. Now, what does that mean for the behavior? How is that going to change Steph Curry's behavior? Well, essentially what you can do now, if you're Steph Curry, if you can use lightning and the energy that is flowing in through sets, you can use it as a dial on how you want to allocate your own energy right? Say for example, he gets on a three point streak, like you may be able to send him 50 sats and a message. But maybe Steph Curry is getting so many 50 sats that he's not going to actually look at your message, right? He's getting too many. So he's going to set a threshold where if you want to if you want to guarantee that Steph Curry reads your message, you're going to have to send 100,000 sats. And now mm -hmm. all of a sudden, he is allocating his energy based on thresholds. he's dialing it up, dialing it down, maybe during the, the, the playoff game, uh, you know, he doesn't want to allocate any energy to doing any of those things. So he dials up his threshold for what he wh where he's going to allocate his energy based on the opportunity cost, because that threshold is the opportunity cost. Right. And for mm -hmm. the very first time ever, because we have an economic constant. Right. We have uh, discovered the 27th constant. Now, all of those decisions around opportunity cost, those are finally more accurate. <laughs> like we finally know exactly what we are giving up any activity that we undertake. And so Steph Curry, like there is a number, I often use Beyonce as an example. There is a number right now that I would be able to send to Beyonce to get her to stop doing whatever she's doing and come and give a concert in Australia, right? There is right. some number. Imagine mm -hmm. her being able to set that threshold herself, 
like say, I will set it at $1 million worth of Bitcoin. If you provide this, I will come and I will, I, I will at least look at your proposal. If I don't like the proposal, maybe I keep 10% and you get your 90% back or something like that. But you will be able to dial in exactly your threshold for almost like you can imagine in email as well, right? The original proof of work. You can set your threshold on how much spam you are going to want based on how much energy those individuals are going to give you for taking the time to read that spam. So now you start to dial in because talk is cheap and sats are not. Like we know if you're sending those sats, if you're that company, you really want people to read that stuff. And now you can allocate that energy. If you've got nothing to do, you can lower that threshold. And maybe you can start to read those terrible emails. Or if you don't want, if you're doing something important, like right now, there is a number of sats that would make me stop doing whatever I'm doing right now. I don't know what that number is. I don't know what yeah. that number is, but I could find it on a dial, right? Like if I could set that myself, if there was energy out there and all I had to do was step into it or all I had to do was dial it back and all of a sudden I could be, that energy could shine on me like the sun. Well, now we're in a completely different world. And for celebrities, for musicians, for all of these individuals that have a public facing profile, you can immediately see this working. I mean, there's places like uh, Vita is doing it. Vita is using that, is that tool? I'm not sure if you've seen that. There's Lightning yeah. Calendars that is doing the same thing. These things are just its in the nascent stage of being able to, because of the hard cap, because of absolute scarcity, uh, because we can now, you know, the, the tape measure example of we now have an accurate gauge to measure every single decision because every decision is an energy allocation decision. Because we have that in place, we are going to get so much more efficient at every single thing uh, and that will allow the allocation of energy to be that much more precise and like mm -hmm. the, no one is bullish enough on that idea of, I mean, that is where things get really crazy as when, when we get to a place like that. I like that term step into energy, because as you say, you know, the, every action we take is an exchange, you know, is an energy sacrifice, basically, you know, I'm going to expend this energy to do whatever, wash the dishes, watch a game, go for a walk. And the more information we can have about the quality of those decisions, the better we're better off we're going to be the more energy we're going to be able to, to retain for whatever outcome i.e the more efficient we're going to be and so now at now everything is so siloed everything's so opaque everything's so noisy that those decisions especially in a market are very difficult to make at, you know or they're not made very uh efficiently or accurately but if you as you say if you always have kind of the if you always know what energy is available to you or what energy is kind of ostensibly is pointed at you so that you can, you, you know, you, you, the options are laid out more clearly for you and you can more easily choose which option is going to be more energetically advantageous, let's say, then you can, as you say, you can just step into that one. You can step into that lane, whatever it is. So like the, and even, you know, and I know you've discussed this before too, the, there's a cognitive enhancement effect here too, because you know, when you're confronted with all that noise, when you're confronted with a more difficult decision to make because the options aren't as clear, well, that's a, that's a cognitive burden, right? That, that takes extra mental energy to be like, I don't, I don't know what to do here. What is the right move to make? I mean, analysis by paralysis by analysis, right? I mean, that, that, that characterizes many of our lives in, in, in different respects. You know, we don't always know the right thing to do. So we, you know, have to take a risk and, and, and make a bet and see how it plays out. But to the extent that we can make those decisions more easily by knowing the benefit of all the options available, uh, the less cognitive load we have to contend with, the less cognitive burden we have to contend with. And what are the impacts of, of that being freed up, of that cognitive capacity being freed up? And I would say the answer, you know, numerous to say the least are, are the benefits of that.
Absolutely. More, more energy reserves. You're unlocking energy that was previously required for an action is no longer required. So what are we going to do with that energy? We need to find somewhere to put it. We need to find somewhere. It's going to be allocated to something. And as you said, every decision, every action that you undertake is an energy allocation decision. You are saying, am I going to end up with more reserves? Because that is what I want. I want, I want easily accessible reserves. The more, the better, the more easily accessible and the more reserves themselves, because I know I'm better off that way. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is allowing for. For the first time ever, we are able to throw a rope around the entire you know, we, sh we are sharing energy with one another, right? That's how Bitcoin works. You are plugging Bitcoin into the system. Someone is taking it out. Someone needs that energy now. Someone is taking that out during every single Bitcoin transaction. That's how you get access to Bitcoin. Unless you're the one that is transforming electrical energy into digital energy through hashing, unless you're doing that job, uh, you are exchanging with someone that has already done that work, right? So someone that has already transformed that energy, they need your energy that you're plugging into the system. They need it now. What are they doing with it? In a hyper-Bitcoinized world, the only reason that they are taking that transaction, because they're giving up a fixed percentage of the total accessible supply of energy in the economy. That is what the 21 million stands for. That is, that is what it represents. All of the energy that is accessible to people that operate in the Bitcoin economy. They are giving that up. Why would they give that up? The only reason they're going to give that up is because they think they can come back with more, right? They think they can be more efficient with it or else you wouldn't give it up. Because the whole thing is you're offering up your energy to the system and Bitcoin is allocating it to the person who thinks that they can do the most with it, right? Because they're giving you the highest price for it. Like, I want it now because I have this idea. It's going to blow your mind. If it wasn't a great idea, I would just let other people do it. <laughs> I wouldn't touch it because all I have to do is plug it into the system and the system will allocate to the most efficient actor in the space. Because if the person is not efficient, what happens to them? They don't get as much Bitcoin. They don't they can't come back and get that same amount of Bitcoin because they've been inefficient in the actual physical world. They have taken your energy. They haven't come back with more reserves. So they don't get access to the same amount of Bitcoin. So it, it, the system regulates itself. And all you have to do is you just plug in your energy. If you don't have a great idea, you plug in that energy and you are giving it to someone who thinks they have the world's greatest idea because rationally they wouldn't do it any other way. There wouldn't be a reason to do it. And that mm -hmm. clears up all of the noise, all of the noise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we always, you know, no matter the circumstance, no matter the monetary standard, no matter the market, we always try to do that. It's just that with Bitcoin, the landscape that we're contending with, that we're trying to maneuver through, that, <clears throat> that we're receiving the data to make those decisions can't lie to us. Exactly. Whereas all previous monies you know, and, you know, and the markets and the landscapes that they generated could lie to you, could, could introduce distortion, could introduce noise. And now we, it doesn't mean you're always going to make the best decision because, you know, uh, th there's more wrapped up in making a decision than just the quality of the data you're receiving, you know, like you, you may be operating on some assumptions that end up being false. And therefore, you know, in hindsight, you, you would have made a different decision, i.e. you made a wrong decision. But the fact that the, the, the landscape that you, that the landscape, the, the market, the signal is not the thing that's going to be inducing you to make a, a, a wrong decision. It's going to be you, it's going to be your assumptions. It's going to be your biases. And that's like, that, that is just revolutionary that, you know, whereas before you had kind of two shifting landscapes, your own biases and it's two, two, uh, well, unstable or, or distorted landscapes, your own biases and your own, um, assumptions, and then the biases and the distortions and the noise of the, the landscape or market you're trying to operate within having one of those be resolved and only have to contend with the other now, huge boon to humanity, right? In every, in every conceivable way. Yeah. 
personal responsibility. It's, it's all, like you say, it's all on there you. you go. Everyone has, uh, you know, I, I love the, the tape measure example. Because of the hard cap, everyone has the same tape measure and it's always going to say the same thing. You know, um, like you say, the, the amount of energy that is misallocated because um, as the global economy is trying to build its house and the tape measure changes every time you pull it out as you're trying to measure things, every time because you have to contend with someone that has the ability to manipulate that tape measure, right? Out mm. of what? Like the, the, the Thomas Sowell quote, out of what? That is what economics is the study of. It's like, what are we giving up? Well, we don't know that unless we know out of what? And as out of what changes, as that tape measure changes, every time you pull it out, you're making enormous misallocations of energy because you think mm -hmm. you're doing the right thing and, and your personal bias may be correct. It's maybe like this idea is going to be, it's going to work. This, there's value there to be had. And then all of a sudden something changes in that measurement and that's just gone. Like it never happened. And someone benefits and you don't, and you don't understand why. And you get really upset and you, you have nowhere to turn because your idea was right in your head, but the, the allocation was incorrect because of something that had nothing to do with you. And it's that work. It's that mental, even the, the idea of thinking like every time a decision is being made, even myself or people that understand what is happening um, with the, the fiat system, you still have to make that tiny little calculation like uh, of allocating energy. Is, is this the right move because of X? Like if you remove that because of X, that's so much energy over, over a given uh, day in the life of humanity. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many of those decisions happening. It's just, it's, it's wild to think about the possibilities of that not being the case. Right? We just yeah. don't know. We don't know the efficiency that we're leaving on the table because it's never been possible before. Yeah. And I, I think what many of us are beginning to realize when you identify all those inefficiencies uh, brought about by distortion or uh, corruption of the money, I mean, you begin to think, and I, I'm sure this is part of the motivation, but behind what you guys are doing, wow, how much more efficient could this alternative system be? Even plugging ourselves into it before it is, you know, the broader system. And, you know, that's one of the, the really exciting things about all this, because, you know, we always talk about when hyper-Bitcoinization, right? When is it going to happen? On what time scale? And um, just simply by virtue of not how well we orange, pe orange pill people or not how persuasive we are, just how efficient decision-making and capital allocation and investment and value flows and all of those things can be will so dramatically outcompete the legacy system with all of its inefficiencies, with all of its distortions, noise, siloing, restrictions, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it, and, and I think this is why so many of us think it'll be a, there could be a suddenly moment because, you know, at first you're just, it's way smaller, but you're way more efficient. But the, the size of the legacy system kind of negates the efficiency gains of the smaller system. But as every single, you know, new person comes on the network, that, if, that efficiency gets more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. And it could be a matter of, you know, a very short period of time where the size and efficiency of the new system, of the Bitcoin system, just it becomes so evident and so outcompetes the legacy system that, you know, there's kind of a watershed moment. And um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people in normie world, I think, are, are discounting the power of those efficiency games that using a monetary standard like this are, is going to have. Absolutely. Because, because there has never been a system where it could be different. Right? There has never been a more efficient tool. It's essentially we are operating in a world where the goal is to dig giant holes and everyone's been doing it with shovels and we have excavators. It's like, well, why would you... Why would you ever go back to using a shovel? I have an excavator. I can do it more efficiently than you. And, mm -hmm. and you can only shield yourself 
from me having an excavator and you having a, sh uh, having a shovel for so long until I eat all of your lunch, until I dig your entire hole. <laughs> like I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be able to do it so much more efficiently than you are, as you mentioned. And that just adds up. You can't ignore those effects, right? You can't shield yourself from someone being more efficient than you. That's just the way that life works, right? That's how evolution uh, works. The, the survival of the fittest is the, the individuals that can transform the most energy from inaccessible to accessible are the ones that win. And over time, that has to be the case because you cannot kill Bitcoin. If you can't kill Bitcoin, it's going to win. Now, how it gets there, uh, you know, the transition process, that's, that, this is, these are where the questions arise. But for efficiency's sake, like if you, because what is the bet that you are making when you decide to plug your energy into Bitcoin? You're essentially saying, uh, I, I believe that the extended order, right, that the hive mind of humanity that has come together, I think that we're going to have access to more energy in the future than less than we do right now. That's the bet that you're making. That's the Lindy effect that you are buying into. Are we going to have access to more energy now or in the future than now? Because if so, you want to own a piece of that total accessible supply of energy, which is the 21 million, because that's going to get bigger, right? So you are investing anybody that gets more efficient at anything in the entire world because it's open source, because it's permissionless, because you don't need any information to join up. You can just fire up an address and there you go. You can start receiving Bitcoin and sending Bitcoin because you don't need any of that stuff. You are the... Total addressable market is everyone in the world getting more efficient at anything is going to add energy to the total accessible supply. So it's just, it, yeah, like you say, there, there's no one that has realized, even in the Bitcoin circles, people don't understand just how bullish uh, you're going to need to be and how much energy <laughs> you are going to have control over, like how much energy you are going to be responsible for if you're in Bitcoin right now, going forward in the future. And the great part is, the, the Bitcoiners that have access to that energy now, that control the, 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 the Bitcoin that stands for that energy, that's exactly who we want. Allocating energy, right? Because they've proven themselves <laughs> in a fair and open system. They have proven themselves as responsible stewards of that energy. They are not going to waste it. They're not going to misallocate it. They're not going to spend it on Lambos. How do we know they're not going to spend it on Lambos? Because they have access to the Bitcoin, because they control the Bitcoin. That's exactly, if you were building a society, a civilization, and you're deciding, well, who are we going to give responsibility to allocating all these energy reserves that we have? Like we have to ensure life continues to exist. Who should we give it to? Well, let's give it to the responsible people that have said, I don't want to consume. I've transformed energy in the real world. I've done all of this work. I don't want to consume it. I want to share it with other people. That's, that's the ultimate charitable act. I mean, that's why Bitcoin is the most charitable thing that you can do. Because you are sharing it with anyone that will take it. And you are saying, I will not consume it. I've transformed it. I will not consume it. I will give it to the extended order. And I'll wait. I'll wait to see who is going to come up with the most efficient idea. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody I've never met before. But anyone that gets more efficient at anything and plugs it into Bitcoin, everyone wins. Mm -hmm. I largely agree with that. The only caveat would be um, because of this whole crypto nonsense that has uh, latched on to Bitcoin, there are some people who have a lot of Bitcoin and you might characterize them having done so as somewhat ill-gotten, you know, from... <laughs> the shitcoinery or the crypto stuff. But one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin, of course, is that if you do have ill-gotten gains, let's say, um, well, yeah, if you, if you kind of uh, come about it or come to own it through unethical means, you don't get to regenerate that position, right? You get it once. It's not it's like being close to the monetary spigot and you can just, you, you, you know, you're at the right place in the political hierarchy, you know the right people, you get to maintain your position in perpetuity because you're right next to the spigot. You have all that wealth, you have all that Bitcoin. One, as you said, and then this is the fair part, it's like, well, you can either decide to hold it or you can decide to wastefully get rid of it. Um, but whatever you choose to do with it, you get that choice once. 
Yes. And if, and from that point, if you're not doing things properly, if you're not adding to the efficiency, the energetic efficiency or, or, or energy reserves, let's say, uh, then you lose it. And it goes to people who are more, more capable at allocating energy and who are more capable of creating value. And that's the way it should be. So, you know, the initial Bitcoin era might have some unsavory people with a lot of wealth. Uh, but over the course of time, I think water will find its level. Sats will find, Sats will find virtuous people, I guess, is, a, is another way to say it. Absolutely. Yeah. As you say, there's no way, there's no way to avoid it. And you're right. There, there is going to be a, there are going to be those, uh, those individuals that have been able to access it before. But as you say, once, once you gain access to it, that's when you start to see the changes in people and they start to realize that I've got one shot at this and maybe, uh, you know, maybe I can actually do some good maybe. And if I, if I can't do some good, who does that energy go to? If you do buy the Lambo, it goes to the person who is transforming that energy, making the Lambo, who is actually doing something good, who is offering the value, mm -hmm. who then has a rational decision in front of them going, okay, well, I wouldn't have undertaken that exchange. I wouldn't have built a Lambo if I didn't end up with more energy reserves in the end, right? I would have kept the Lambo for myself if, I, if that was the case. So I've sold it now. Uh, I need somewhere to put those reserves. Where, what should I do with it? Where should I allocate it mm -hmm. towards? <laughs> and mm -hmm. if you can allocate it towards something that no one can steal um, and it has all the benefits that, uh, you know, you've talked about many times and everyone is well aware of, then uh, it only makes sense after a period of time that those individuals who do come to control quite a bit of Bitcoin for a period of time are going to be the ones that you would want allocating the energy in the first place. And it's constantly testing the fitness of individuals who hold those UTXOs, right? It's constantly, yeah. constantly testing you. Every single day you wake up, you're being tested for, are you going to consume that energy or are you not? Are you going to make it available for others? Uh, and that is the true test because once you send it, you can't get it back, right? As you said, you get one shot. Um, so you better make sure that your energy allocation game is on point or you're going to be in a world of hurt. A hundred percent. You know, in, interesting question then becomes when there's so much clarity and when that signal is so pure and pristine throughout markets, I think, well, I think part of our critique of the fiat culture is that how this perversion and distortion has uh, induced people to value things a certain way. Now, maybe you and I would judge it as, you know, judge it poorly. Others, pe other people would have a different judgment. But how will this more pristine way of, of communicating value and energy change where the reserves concentrate, I guess is the way of put it. And by that, I mean, like, what will people value more? So, so now like reserves concentrate as res let's, let's say it's a Lambo and maybe this isn't a great example because Lambos are high performance machines are super cool. I don't have anything against them in, in principle. Right. Yes. But if you make the Lambos, then you will accrue a lot of those reserves because a lot of people with reserves want the Lambo. Yep. Uh, but will we get a, and this seems to be the case with Bitcoiners, as far as I've observed, their systems of value begin to, to shift. Right. In terms of the things that they're willing to sacrifice their reserves for change as a result of learning about Bitcoin. And so when that happens on mass, if it does, and I have to assume it will happen to some degree, maybe not as hard, maybe not as, as to the degree that it happens to the initial cohort of hardcore Bitcoiners. But when that occurs, what will be the, the thing that invites the most reserve energy? Right. What will be the thing that compels the most energetic sacrifice is another way of looking at that from the other side. You know, how will our systems of value change? I.e. what will we be, what will, what will the market dictate is most worthy of energetic sacrifice, I guess, you know, and it's interesting because I, again, our critique of the fiat world is that that whole process has been so distorted that we get all these 
perverse manifestations in markets and in culture that are very much influenced by that distortion, the distortion that, and the noise that's in the system. Once that's removed, what should we expect to become manifest? What, what, what should we expect to become elevated in the hierarchy of values, as it were, that induces the most sacrifice and that, that market participants are competing to provide in order to grow their energy reserves? Yeah, I think the things that it, it will come down to the things that transform the most energy from inaccessible to accessible. That is what people are drawn to. That is what you see happens with Bitcoiners. Why do they continually have these shifts in the way that their mindset is? Because they start to understand what they are selling. They start to understand what they are giving up when they send Bitcoin. They start to understand that what they have is access to incredibly, incredibly fluid, dynamic energy that is unique and that cannot be that cannot be manipulated in any way. And it is the truth. So what, what you end up deciding is I am not going to give up. I'm not going to give up my reserves or my control over those reserves for something that is not going to bring me more energy in the future, right? It's all about increasing efficiency in every single aspect. So you'll see, you know, all the, the, the crap, the, the widgets, the little uh, nonsense plastic things, all those things that are just fluff that are part of the bread and circus to keep you uh, just on enough life support that, that the, the parasitical system can, can take advantage of you, all that stuff goes. Like if it's not, mm -hmm. if it is not returning more energy reserves to the individual that is allocating energy there, it's not going to be part of the system. And what does that mean? That means we start to move up the Kardashev scale, right? This, this is how we get right. there. This is how we become more efficient. Why? Because, and it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you know this? How can you predict this out into the future? Because that's the way that life has evolved every single time. It always works this way, right? You get as efficient as you possibly can be. You get so efficient, the organism, what, whatever it might be, gets so efficient that it can no longer adequately use the reserves it has access to. So what then needs to happen? A new form of life has to spring up that can adequately use those reserves, right? And that's where you get these big giant jumps. That's where you go from single organism to multicellular organisms. That's where these big jumps happen is because you have these reserves built up. And so what will fall away is anything that does not, uh, anything that does not allow for the transformation of more reserves than it takes, right? The efficiency will just go through the roof in every aspect. So you'll see just a whole entire shift in the model for uh, what people do for, for, for work, for the jobs, for the things that are valued. Like you say, everything changes and it all comes mm -hmm. down to energy because people just don't understand uh, the role that energy plays and how it makes their life better. Like, you know, normies are so far away from uh, grasping even the, the basics of that, of that equation, of, of the role of the, the importance of energy because they've never lived without it. Right? They've grown up in a world where it's just been there. You just turn on the lights. It's just there and it makes you warm and you can put the heater on. And you can do all of those things uh, where you can't do that in a large, you know, a large portion of the world. That, that stuff doesn't happen. And unless you see it firsthand, you don't realize just how much, uh, how much work it would take to redo that stuff. Like the, the, the shoulders that you are standing on um, and the energy reserves that you and I have access to that our generations before us did not. And our job is to take it and allocate it efficiently to bring more reserves, right? To, to make us mm -hmm. so that we can, again, we can project out even further into the future, right? Because we have this assurance, we have this barn full to last us the entire winter. We don't have to rush around and try and find immediate solutions. Now we can start planning for decades, for centuries into the future, because we know it's going to be there because we know the question out of what, right? Out of 21 million, that's the answer. So anything mm -hmm. that does not get us closer to that is going to be left by the wayside. Right. That, that's just inefficient allocation of energy. And it sounds it sounds dry and it sounds like things will be lost in the mix in there. Uh, you know, you can get down. But but those things that do transform uh, more energy, 
right? From inaccessible to accessible, they're not just, you know, it's not just more oil production. It's not just more solar, more wind. Uh, it's things like sports, right? There are reasons that, that art exists, right? Art exists for the exact same reason as sports. Like you are seeing there's something there that allows individuals, allows life to perform better. And those things, that's where we're going to start to find the truth. It's like, we don't know that right now because it's, it's masked by the noise. It's masked mm -hmm. by the manipulations in the market. And now when, 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 when it's said that, you know, Bitcoin, um, is truth and it will uh, illuminate truth that, that is true. That, that is, that is where the efficiency gains are going to come from. And that is where the mass changes are going to come from. And it won't be quick and it won't be easy, but it, it's certainly, it's certainly going to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, we use terms like noise and distortion and they, they sound fairly innocuous, but as you just said, I mean, the whole, the point of civilization and the, the capacity for progress in civilization is that ability to build on the foundations and the, the work that's been done before you. And the, the, the tragedy of our time that is so underappreciated is that as we were discussing before, I mean, you make economic calculation based on the landscape, landscape or the circumstance that you're capable of observing that you're capable of, of gathering data about. And then, you know, to, to oversimplify a little bit, but it's really not much of an oversimplification, 12 guys in a room can say, oh, so you make economic calculation based on the economic landscape that you're perceiving. And then 12 guys in a room say, oh, we're changing the landscape now, i.e. We're, we're increasing, increasing interest rates. The cost of capital have just has just changed. And that means every economic calculation needs to be adjusted. Oh, yours didn't account for that arbitrary adjustment? Well, it looks like you just wasted energy. It looks like you just misallocated capital. It looks like you just took the foundation that's been uh, from the work that's been done before you and you've wasted it. And that's the tragedy of the current system we have today that we should be able to be building on a, a foundation of granite effectively, right? Taking all that work that's been done before us and putting it towards ever greater well, energy reserves, generating more energetic efficiency and whatever value or meaning is attached to that, right? What, what, whatever it is we're moving towards, you know, up that Kardashev scale, let's say, we should be able to do that unimpeded. And the tragedy is that by our own making, we're placing so many impediments to our own progress to the, to the extent that, you know, peak fiat may, is most likely undoing progress of the past. It's not even that we're not like, you know, going in the direction that we could, but we're hampering and even destroying our ability to go forward at all, perhaps at its peak. Um, and that's such a massive tragedy, but it's also why, I guess, why the enthusiasm for Bitcoin. And it's not, you know, we talk about Bitcoin as being freedom money. I think a lot of people uh, contextualize that in, in thinking about it in relation to state money. Right. So like you have controlled, censored, regulated money, non-free market money, and then you have a free market money. And that allows you to, you know, that that at scale conveys some freedom in relation to someone who might be wanting to impose things on you, i.e. the state. And of course, everyone has different philosophies about the role and the validity of the state and government, et cetera. But as you're discussing, you know, as you're really driving home this energetic perspective, and as you say, you know, biology is basically that process of finding energetic efficiencies. And so as we do that, I mean, it's not just a freedom of governance that we're accessing, but it's a genuine biological freedom that we're accessing. You know, like if we're able to have more ener energy reserves to 
satisfy our wants and needs. And then even beyond that, address actualization uh, things, right? So beyond just our wants and needs, that's a profound sense of freedom that that's delivering. And to the extent that you can have access to generate and preserve those energetic efficiencies and grow those energetic reserves, you have more freedom on like a biological level, not just on a, on a social and government, you know, on a, a state level, let's say. And that's what's so exciting because then it begs the question. I think this is a question a lot of people are being confronted with now is what do you, what do you actually value when you have those, when you have that optionality, when you have an increasing degree of freedom, and I understand in the world today, most people don't, but we're starting to see, and if we're right about this Bitcoin thesis, that there will be more and more and more and more of that. Where should you place your focus, right? Like what, what do you value? What does progress mean to you? Where, what sacrifices do you want to make for the experiences that you want to have? And that, those are extremely transformative questions as far as I can tell, because so often, you know, let's bring it back to baseball because you said at the beginning, like the primary reason why you're doing this is for better baseball, right? Better baseball players, a better baseball experience. And you think about it from a player's perspective, the, the, the standard model, they get signed, they get, you know, a guaranteed salary. They show up to the games, they play, you know, they want to do well because, you know, they want to keep their job, but there's a, there's a space between their performance and their, their compensation. And so, you know, it kind of feels like you've accepted your lot and it is what it is. But when you have that direct line to your performance, when you can see if I perform this way, this is how I'm rewarded. If I perform that way, this is how I'm rewarded. It just seems like it's going to incentivize or inspire them to further access their potential, I guess is, the, is, is what I'm trying to figure out. Like it's really going to, to show them, it's going to give them more immediate feedback on the fruits of their labor. And that's going to cause them to ask the question, what is my labor? How much do I want to devote to my labor? What type of sacrifice? How much work? All those questions that, and so again, these are in the realm of like self-actualization. It's this, it's this mechanism that's causing people to think, what do I, you know, what do I really want to accomplish? What do I really want to do? Who do I want to become? You know, super fundamental questions being at least in part inspired by simply a different mechanism of generating, transferring, preserving and, and growing energy reserves. That's it. Absolutely. And, and like you say, it's, it's, it comes from, it comes from removing that element of, you know, you have two sides of the, two, two parts of the equation right now to tell whether or not your energy was, was properly allocated, right? You have what you did, your thesis on whatever idea you might be running. If you're going to be a baseball player, did I invest the right amount of energy into my practice? Did I do the work? Did I hit the number of balls necessary? And what is happening with those 12 people in a room? that are affecting the, the other part, the other variable in that equation that is giving mm. me feedback as to what my actions are actually uh, doing in the physical world, right? And now where the personal responsibility comes from is that that side of the equation is gone. Like that is, you, you don't have to think about that anymore. So all of your actions and all of your circumstances that you are in now are based on your personal 
uh, actions. You are in the spot that you are in because of you, because of the choices that you are making. And that's why you see these fundamental changes in Bitcoin. We're starting to see this as we're, we're just now into the first wave of where individuals who have been in Bitcoin long enough are beginning to accrue enough of those energy reserves to begin to project out into the future. And you start to see them start to shift and change the way that they're thinking about what do I want? What, how do I want to participate in the world? What, what, what sort of legacy do I want to leave behind? What do I want to do with the energy that I have? And like you say, it completely shifts the, the, the focus on where you want to go and what you want to invest in. And for, uh, again, to bring it back to baseball players, now it is, okay, well, if, if the energy, if the value, the utility that is coming from me playing sports is these individuals getting inspired, how do I make them more inspired to do those things? How do I invest right. my energy to become the greatest version of me possible? And if I, as I become a greater version of me, I start to see a greater return because I start to mm -hmm. see individuals appreciating that. And then I lean in harder and then I lean in harder and it compounds and it compounds and it compounds. And if everyone is doing across that in every domain, that is when, you know, the, the curve just goes vertical and, and yeah. the, the amount of reserves that will, will be transformed and be accessible will just beyond comprehension. We can't, we, we cannot understand, uh, we cannot fathom those levels of, of what we will be able to access and the fact that Bitcoin itself, the system itself constantly regulates who thinks that they have the greatest idea to help out the extended order, right? Because those are the individuals that are willing to go to the marketplace and go, uh, I'm willing to sell my portion of the total accessible supply. I'm willing to sell it uh, because I need that energy now because I have the world's greatest idea. No one on the planet can beat it. I'm willing to play top dollar for that energy that you have right now. Give it to me. And if, if they're successful, that's exactly who we want, who we should have given the energy to. Perfect. That's mm -hmm. exactly who we want out there making those risks. If you're not that person, if you don't have that idea, if you don't have that conviction, if you don't have uh, the ability to do all those low time preference things, well, then just allow someone else to do it, right? Like give it to someone else and you do whatever thing that you are doing. And that is where your access to the reserves, that's where it's going to stay. You're going to cap yourself right? You're not going to cap anybody else's ability to transform energy or to access energy in the future. You're only capping yourself. And so now it's all about personal responsibility. It's all about you uh, taking care of yourself, becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's when you start to ask those important questions. Like, what does that look like? If, mm -hmm. if, if it's all on me, well, how do I maximize that? And, that? and that's where the question leads to. Yeah. And to your, to your earlier point, that is the truth emerging from sending sats because that capacity is your immediate feedback from your behaviors. I acted this way, this was the reward in sats. I acted that way, this was the reward in sats. And how much is that just the frequency and the directness of that relationship or of that data, you know, feedback on your behavior in the most consequential form in sats? How much does that influence your own uh, determinations about the behavior you want to engage in? And as you said, I think for a lot of people, it will be just, you know, constantly trying to figure out how to get more positive feedback, i.e. sats, for which behaviors. And if, the, you know, if, if you have any faith in humanity at all, perhaps, if you believe that uh, virtue is more valuable and more rewarded than malice or incompetence, at least over the long run, then you would think that that's just going to amplify those traits significantly. You know, because people are just are they're always going to be engaging in that calculation and it happens faster and faster and faster and with less and less and less friction. And, and this is, you know, people become more excellent in whatever their domain is, but I think they also become more excellent on an ethical or moral d dimension. 
and you know, then we're really off to the races in terms of what all this means. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is a, it's, it's a big, it's a big change. And one of the examples that I use quite often when I, when I relate it to sports and just the, the ability that this has to shift how, how the truth emerges is the Colin Kaepernick situation. You know, there's a lot this, a lot of people don't know the Colin Kaepernick situation, but he's a football player. He decided to take a knee during the national anthem. And there was a whole back and forth between the league and himself. Uh, and it proved now what we don't know is what the public actually thought, right? We don't know right. if people supported Colin because they didn't have the ability to directly support him through something like Sats for Stats, right? They, they weren't able to say what you're doing is good. So what happened is because the system is optimized for selling fan attention, for selling fan energy uh, to the advertisers, the, the owners got together and they said, well, the advertisers are kicking up quite a storm. Like we have to, we have to basically disown Colin from the situation. Now, whether you agree with him or whatever he was doing, that's besides the point. What could have been, what could have happened in that case, had something like the value for mo value model in sports been in place, is that we would know, we would know the truth exactly. We would know how everyone feels. We would know Colin's position. We would know the league's position, who is in the right, who is in the wrong, because of where the sats are flowing. Like if you supported mm -hmm. Colin taking a knee, he becomes more anti-fragile as he can now get all of these sources of energy flowing to him, all of this income rather than just from one entity that is, you know, at the behest of the advertisers, at the behest of these people that are actually the ones that are siphoning off your energy in the first place. It's like that mm -hmm. is the exact use case where, I don't know, if he has millions and millions of sats flowing into him, well, that's, that's we, we call it proof of fan, right? That is proof of fan. You have individuals that like whatever it is that you're doing. So lean into whatever it is you're doing. Or it could have been the opposite. Like you could, in the future, you could stream the sats to the organization or you could stream the sats to the owners or whoever it might be that would be on the opposite side of that. So you think about it in politics, you think about it anywhere you want the truth to emerge. If sats are flowing there, that's where the truth is, right? That is what people actually think, right? Your, your talk is cheap, sats are not. So that is And the where, value. Exactly. That is where, yeah. that is what people appreciate. And that is what they will continue to seek out is whatever that is. It doesn't matter what they say, right? Don't, uh, what is the line from uh, Nassim uh, Taleb? Is it, don't show me what's in your portfolio. Uh, no, don't. Uh, don't, don't tell me what you think. Show me where you're portfolio. sending your sets. Like, don't, don't tell yeah. me what you think. So tell me where you're sending your sets. Uh, and then that is what is important because then we know the truth and it can be had. And there's nothing that has to happen. And for organizations, to adopt this. This is the this is the most beautiful part. We haven't even gotten into the numbers that of stats for stats, but to, to any organization that wants to adopt this right now, or to any player, right? Like the players associations that we have talked to in various sports, this is always, this is a problem they are constantly facing. How do we make ourselves more anti-fragile? Like we we do not want to depend just on the organization or the owners to have these issues that are constantly paying us out. Like we are sacrificing our bodies, we're doing all this work, we're doing all this low time for stuff. How do we how do we make ourselves stronger in the face of this? Um, it costs zero, right? Open source, free <laughs> technology. This is the beauty of Bitcoin. You want to implement the same exact system that we're using now, which is working right now, you can do it. It costs you zero. You can just have those sats being sent to you. And uh, I was actually uh, in, in a conversation with Gigi when he came up with this analogy about what we're doing. And it, it was this idea of eBay, right? And the idea of eBay being that before eBay, you had a garage full of stuff, Right. And the, the opportunity mm -hmm. cost, the cost to, to, to get rid of that stuff was it wasn't it didn't line up with your interest in actually doing that. Right. It was locked in there. That, that was energy that was just locked in a position because it wasn't valuable enough to to expend. It wasn't value enough to get out into the marketplace. But then eBay comes along and now it's something it removes the friction. It increases the efficiency in someone being able to find whatever 
energy you were trying to, to allocate, right? So now you open up this thing that was locked in people's garages, it just springs open and opens up this in, in giant value pot. That's exactly what's happening here. Right? With value for value, you don't have to spend any money, any organization, any player to get involved. You don't have to do anything. It's free. All you get is upside. And that is where I was saying, well, as it comes back to the players, to get buy-in from the players. Like this is how we get buy-in from individuals who may not have the may not have the foresight or may not have the, the want or the desire to learn about Bitcoin as an investment, as, as thinking about it in the future. But if you can just start to get them streaming in, right? You're, you, you can get very high profile individuals. All of a sudden, once they see these sats coming in, they start thinking, okay, well, what does this actually mean now that I have some? What can I actually do with it? And it's a very easy way to orange bill people. And this value has just been completely unlocked. Like it's in the, if you, if you factor in what we did in the very first week, the, the number of transactions and the amount that the wages increased on our team, right? The, the wage increase in the team, in the total team, was almost 1%. The, the, and that was across the entire organization, right? 1% increase in wages just from Sats for Stats. The, the number of players that actually play on the field, right? Because it's not, the whole roster has to be paid. But the number of players that are actually on the field, it's almost 2%. A 2% increase wow. in wages. Now, you talk about all of the friction that is in place in the system, right? The, the system is, let's be honest, it's horrendous to, to yeah. do it, but it works. But the, the amount of friction that is there in place, it's not like Fountain where you can just set up the streaming sats and it that gets automatically allocated. Like there is a mental transaction cost where you have to, you have to get out your phone, you have to scan the thing, you got to send the sats. If you project that out, that 2% out to just the top four sports in the United States, just the top four sports on mm -hmm. 2016 wages, it's $300 million in energy that was previously non-existent, right? Those athletes can now mm -hmm. tap into that $300 million in a year, just in America, just through one thing. And it's free. <laughs> the technology to implement it is free. You don't have to do anything. It's like, well, that's a pretty easy sell to organizations to say, well, yeah, I want some. And then you, you, you put on top of that, the first mover advantage. You think about whatever athlete gets in first and says, yes, this is something that I want to do. Right. This is something if you want to be the Ronaldo, if you want to be the person that, that steps forward, the first mover advantage you are going to have is, you know, it's it's a generational wealth. Mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible just how much access, how much value is there to be just pulled away. And, and the the barrier to entry is zero. Yeah, I think the eBay analogy is great, you know, and, and that's what that's what this is all about. This is unlocking or setting value free. Right. And then, and then it begs the question, like, well, like what is, and where is value? And this, this, I think this to my prior point works on multiple levels. Like, yes, it works on the, let's say market exchange level. Like where are there inefficiencies? Where is there value that's been sequestered or locked or suppressed or, you know, not accessed and how can it be accessed by these efficiencies? But also, you know, again, on the personal level, it's like, what are the valuable attributes of myself? Are they my virtues? Are they my ideas? Are they my words that I'm able to articulate? Those get set free too. And what happens when we're able to unlock more value both out at, well, in ourselves, and that bleeds into what we produce out in the market. And then you generate that positive feedback loop, that positive flywheel that builds on itself and builds on itself and builds on itself. I mean, again, I, I think this is this is why value for value is so important, but such a revolutionary change. And to think that we're literally at the, you know, to, to use a baseball analogy, the very first inning, I haven't yes. even started, you know, they're like warming up in the, in the circle or whatever, the batter circle. 
um, and to see how it can work already and to see the benefits manifest already. And just to project that out a little bit, because there's many things that we, we, of course, can't think of right now, right? We just can't imagine the things that will happen. But just the premise of unlocking value, wherever it might exist, market or personal, is such an exciting prospect. Um, yeah, and kudos to you guys for leading the charge. And I think you will be rewarded for uh, that effort in spades uh, as we move into the future. Um, Patrick, I know it's super late where you are, so I should probably let you go and get some sleep. Uh, any last words before we shut this thing down? No, no. I appreciate the, the opportunity to come on and have a chat. Uh, you know, I love the podcast and it's fun to, to hear conversations that, that you're having because, you know, this is where, this is where the information is, is spreading in conversations like this, where the, these ideas are being thought out and, and we're sort of projecting out into the future of trying to get to the bottom of a, of a really, uh, a really, really deep rabbit hole. And I will, I will add that. You know, the thing about the rabbit hole is you, you fall down it. others fall down it because someone has done the digging, right? And, and we want as an organization, the Perth Heat, the Bitcoin baseball team, we want to do the digging. You know, we want to be the people that will dig the hole for others to fall down. Uh, and that's the whole goal of the organization is to, to put in the work and make it easier, leave the path easier than what we had it. Um, so I would just hope that people uh, check out the program, check out Sats for Stats, um, get involved and, and try and send a little bit of value and, and see hopefully what the future is going to be like. If it's 12 months out for the rest of the world, if it's 24, uh, you know, we are, like you say, very early in the process. But uh, I think these ideas, these ideas are unstoppable and, and the technology is, is developing so quickly that, uh, that it's just, it, it really is a matter of time. So, so I appreciate you uh, making time and, and having me on the show. I couldn't agree more. And last question from me is how can people watch these games? You know, if people want to watch the games and stream sats, are they available online somewhere? Yeah. So we, so we have them uh, on Twitter is the easiest spot. We actually, we just implemented a program, which is exciting where it used to be, you had to, so you're watching on Twitter, you're watching the game. Um, and I'll, I'll send you the links where you can find all this stuff we can put it in the show notes if you want, but you used to have to watch the game and then you would, you would have to scan a QR code, right? You have to scan the lightning QR code to be able to pay. And there's a little bit of a friction in that if you're watching on Twitter, you know, you don't normally have another device nearby. But just today, um, we've just seen the technology come out. Uh, the gang at IBEX have worked it. So now we can use links inside of Twitter. So an embedded link inside of Twitter, you watch the highlight, you watch the game live as it streams, you can cl click on the link, it immediately opens your lightning wallet. Um, and you can send the right amount of sats, you can send a message along with those sats uh, to the players all in real time as it happens. So like I say, the, the, from the first week to the second week, we've already had like the biggest roadblock was, yeah, people being able to interact with the technology, even Bitcoiners that knew this stuff. It was there was too much friction. So now, mm -hmm. you know, first week, that's out of the way. So it's going to be exciting to see the, 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 the results this next time. Incredible. Well, look, I'm, I'm excited to watch a game and, and uh, boost some sats. So do yeah. send me the links and the schedules and all that stuff when uh, when they're available. Uh, Patrick, thanks again, man. Love your work. And um I look forward to talking again in the future and, and getting an update. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Take care. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Patrick. If you'd like to hear more from him and the team, follow at Perth Heat on Twitter and visit perthheat.com.au for news, stats, merch, game schedules, tickets, and more. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.